the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up? You're watching the 163rd episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the Notre Dame-Maryland game, which went into overtime. We're going to talk Duke-Loyola. We're going to talk North Carolina-Rutgers. All three of those games went into overtime. And then we're going to talk about the bloodbath that was the Virginia-Georgetown game. Uh, Before we get into all of that crap, please uh, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. We're approaching 10,000 subscribers. We're trying to just get to 9,600 ASAP. So if you could just subscribe, even if you're an audio listener, go to laxfactor.com forward slash YouTube and you can subscribe there or you can go to laxfactor.com and get some swag and crap like that so let's dive right into this here we had the Notre Dame Maryland game it was a crazy lacrosse game first half in this game was a game of runs Notre Dame they struck first but Maryland followed up with five unanswered goals taking a commanding 5-1 lead by the end of that first quarter Griffin Brown and Jared Bernhardt they each put up two goals over that stretch and then Bubba Fairman uh, contributed the other the second quarter was Notre Dame's turn as was often the case Notre Dame was a really good second quarter team roaching a couple of teams Syracuse was one of the teams I remember they roached in the second quarter and uh, they shine in the second quarter. The Irish, they go on their own five-goal run uh, en route to taking a 6-5 lead with just under six minutes in the second quarter. Uh, Leahy had two goals over that stretch. Kavanaugh assisted to York, Jacoboyce, and Westland each tallied as part of that run. And then in fitting fashion, Jared Bernhardt stopped Maryland's bleeding by roaching his defender on the high side, sticking one from about six yards out, point blank. No one on his hands. Scores tied up at sixes. Bernhardt followed up with another goal a little bit later, gives Maryland a 7-6 lead off a filthy, dirty stick up the right side. That's a a, a trend with Bernhardt scoring goals going up the right side. Uh, This game would see Notre Dame build a three-goal lead early in the fourth quarter prior to Maryland going on a very quick three-goal run that knotted the game back up at 12s again. And it was just one of those deals where once once Notre Dame got that 12-9 lead, I was like, whoa, it is looking legitimately like we might be getting to the point where we have an all-ACC Final Four. Not so fast because Maryland, just like that, they get a couple a couple of quick goals. They tie things up at 12s. They traded goals. After tying it up at 12, they trade goals. We're at 13-13, and we are going into overtime for the third time this weekend, which was pretty crazy. The result? Very anticlimactic because Anthony DeMeo hit the game winner on a sneaky give-and-go with Logan Wisnowskis in Maryland, prevented an all-ACC Final Four, winning in overtime and winning quickly. They didn't drag that overtime period out at all. They win the face-off, which they had not won face-offs pretty much all game, and we'll talk about that a little bit further down here. DeMeo gets the ball. He's the first dodge. He actually kind of dodges. It looks like they got it covered. He hits Wisnowskis. He keeps cutting. Wisnowskis gives it right back to him, and he sticks it with his left uh, down that right alley. It was actually a pretty slick give-and-go. And and now we have a Big Ten team uh, with uh, four or three other ACC teams in the Final Four here. Stat line for this one, Griffin Wesselin, one goal, three helpers. Wheaton Jacoboys, four goals. Pat Cavanaugh was quiet with a goal and two helpers. For Maryland, Jared Bernhardt, five goals. Logan Wisnowskis, three and one. Anthony DeMeo, one goal, three helpers with the game winner in his pocket. The Maryland defense, they did a really good job defensively overall in this game. They forced 11 of Notre Dame's 18 turnovers. The Terps took incredible care of the ball, and the Irish didn't. Nick Grill, Josh Kaufman, they each had two takeaways and two ground balls. Grill and the Terps did a great job overall just keeping Kavanaugh bottled up. They didn't give Notre Dame a whole lot. And uh, one of the things I think that we saw in this game 
was that that Maryland had a much more efficient offense. If we look at the faceoff battle, Notre Dame owned the faceoff dot, taking 20 of 30. You couple that with Liam Entman making 16 saves uh, for Notre Dame. So that gave Notre Dame enough extra possessions. Usually, if uh, the other team roaches you on faceoffs, you hope that your goalie is the one that puts up all the saves like Entman did. And that wasn't the case. Entman stopped Maryland on the doorstep numerous times. Uh, Notre Dame already won 20 of 30 draws. Both teams cleared the ball pretty well. Uh, so in in a game like that, you need the possessions and, or you need to be efficient to make up for the lack of possessions. And Maryland was Notre Dame's side. They had just enough possessions where Maryland disrupted their offense badly, but they, they were able to just keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. And that was how Notre Dame was able to keep things close. The goalie battle, Entman, 16 saves uh, and Notre Dame's extra possessions in all like that. That just saved them. It saved their butt. Entman needed to play big. I said, honestly, I believe my 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 quote was that Entman needed to make 17 saves for Notre Dame to win this game. Maybe that would have proved to be true. I think that was Entman that I said that. Somebody I'd said, hey, they're going to have to have 17 saves again to win this game. Uh, it would make me like a wise sage if I did get that right. Um, Maryland, uh, da, 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 da. yeah. And then one thing we need to put to bed here, we need to put to bed this whole Big Ten versus ACC. It is a fact. And, and the Big Ten boot guy, the, the Big Ten fans, you know, it, this isn't anyone take. I mean, I'm not taking a shot at you. I know a lot of the ACC fans are, but the ACC was the deeper conference. No question. You have to be a moron to not see and admit that. I, obviously, because right now we have three ACC teams in the final four and we were very close to having four to pretend that the ACC wasn't a much better conference all the way through than the Big Ten this year would be completely stupid. But, but Maryland is still in it. So just because we have three ACC teams in the Final Four here, all five got into the tournament, it doesn't mean yet that the best team in the country is out of the ACC. Maryland could still own that spot. So all the ACC chirpers, you better shut your mouths because you haven't won anything yet. And the same thing goes for the Big Ten. I mean, Big Ten was not as deep. To, to think that Michigan, Penn State, Hopkins, Ohio State were as good as the rest of the eight. Now, I mean, they could have beat an ACC team on a given day. Probably Cuse. Probably could have beat Cuse. Uh, some of them could have on a given day, but yeah, to pretend that 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 the the truth is there. ACC, much the deepest conference, possibly the deepest conference we've ever had in college lacrosse. Uh, but the Big Ten could still put the champion, could still be crowned champion here by the end of it. Here, so let's stop with all this crap. Yes, Maryland beat the third or fourth best team in the ACC in overtime, and yes, UNC beat the second best team in the Big in overtime. This is what happens. You get to the quarterfinals, every team is good except Georgetown, apparently. So that means both conferences were solid. All the you know, pretty solid. Both conferences put good teams in the in the in the tournament, and both conferences have representation in the final four. So let's shut the hell up. Let's move on to the next game. And oh yeah, did I go through did I even go through stats? Yeah, I did. Jared Bernhardt, five goals. You know, hell of a job here. And then in terms of the Twarton battle, we've got Bernhardt left, we've got Gray left, we've got Sowers left, and who do we have another one? I don't remember if I don't think Virginia had a had a finalist there. So yeah, we got those three. And in terms of the argument for each, I think it really doesn't matter. I think debating who should get it at this point doesn't matter. The winner of the tournament, assuming one of those three players teams wins, which is a good chance that they do, uh, the the t- the player whose team wins the tournament is going to win the the Twarton, I believe. All right, Loyola. And Duke, this game, it had seven ties and eight lead changes. Down the stretch, Brian Smythe gave Duke an 8-7 lead with 6.53 remaining in the contest off a feed from Brennan O'Neill. 
kind of a slow break deal. Pretty decent goal. Much needed goal. Dan Quigley from Liam Bateman got things knotted back up for Loyola with just under three minutes to go. 48 seconds later, Loyola took the lead, this time Lindley from Evan James. Very nice finish on the crease by Lindley, and his celly was hype. The dude was pumped up for good reason, obviously. Duke had a solid chance to tie it on a fast break that ended up seeing Michael Sowers get his head taken off as he tried to bury the game-tying goal. That led to a Duke man up. Sowers hit O'Neill on the left wing for the game-tying goal with 69 seconds to go in regulation, and that forced overtime. And then Duke got the first possession. Loyola did a great job tying Sowers up on a, on a take, giving themselves a chance, but in the end, they couldn't get it done either. Ball goes back to Duke, and it was Joe Robertson dodging from X up the right side and sticking a very familiar-looking game winner for the Blue Devils, and the celebration commenced. Duke became the third ACC team. Uh, in as many games to join the final four. It was the second overtime game of the quarterfinal round. So a hell of a job by Duke as we're looking at their stat line. Brennan O'Neill, four and one. Michael Sowers, one and three. Joe Robertson, three and one, including that game winner in overtime. Loyola, Evan James had himself a hell of a game, four goals and a helper. Aiden Olmstead didn't tally a goal, but he had three assists. Credit Duke's defense for that. And Kevin Lindley was held to two goals. Faceoff battle. Jake Naso bullied. Bailey Savio. We've seen, I've kind of got a greater appreciation for faceoffs, especially this season, as I really start to get better at diving into box scores. So you watch a game, you get a feel for the game. You start reading that box score and you start reading that play by play, where you're kind of reading the play by play from all these teams' box scores is like the Matrix or something. And you start seeing the importance of those possessions off faceoffs. Naso bullied Savio 14 to 22 with nine ground balls at the faceoff X. That proved pivotal as Loyola proved their defense is as good as any in the nation. You know, I mean, Loyola's defense played incredibly well against Duke. They did a great job of bottling Sowers up, even where Sowers was using the two-man game to get switched up onto a shorty. Loyola did a great job showing help. They didn't always have to send the help. And I really, it's something that, it's a subtle quality of a defense where it's like a, a guy as smart as Mike Sowers, he can see if the help's coming or not. If the help doesn't come, then he's going. If the help comes or if the help just shows, Michael Sowers is the kind of kid that's unselfish enough that he won't run himself into a double team, you know, unless absolute, you know, desperation dictates it. Even then he might not do it. So I thought they did it. Loyola did a great job defensively of showing help. And then the Duke offense did a great job of being patient and not kind of running into those double teams repeatedly and, and getting into that, that situation where they turn the ball over too much because winning the faceoff battle, if you take care of the ball and win the faceoff battle, it puts you in a good position to win which they did by the end of this goalie battle. This was won by Sam Schaefer, 17 saves, 63% save percentage. Adler wasn't bad. Eight saves with a 47% save percentage, but Schaefer did exactly what he needed to do to keep Loyola in this game. Had he only been average based off of, let's say how he played earlier in the season at the point that he got benched, uh, you know, or he just put up his, his save percentage of 52%. I mean, people would have been like, Hey, that's a solid game. You go 50 plus percent against Duke. That's a good game. Problem being Loyola would have lost by three or four goals if that was the case. The fact he stood on his head again, he, I mean, the kid just had a great playoff, played wonderful in the playoffs, played great down the stretch for Loyola. That ends up making a big difference for Loyola here. So he wins the, uh, that battle. Now, one of the other things I saw here overall in this game, though, Loyola proved their defense was as good as any in the country. That's what kept Loyola in this game. Defensively, they did a great job trying to bottle up that, that prolific Duke 
uh, offense. I would have liked to have seen O'Neal get some more touches, but I'm not sure how that played out and why it didn't happen because O'Neal, I think, only took uh, uh, what five shots, six shots, scored five goals. They didn't seem to have an answer for him when he went to the rack, but then again, a couple of his goals were assisted too, so who knows? Who knows? I did see somebody posting in the College Across discussion board trashing Sowers saying he 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 didn't do anything, blah, blah, blah. Listen, you if, if you if you think that Sowers played like crap and did nothing in that game, you're not paying attention. Sowers did everything he could. Loyola just did an incredible job of playing really good team defense to kind of try to control him. He still goes for one goal and three helpers. I mean, the kid the 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 kid put up points on the biggest stage and uh, you know was part of the reason his team ended up getting to victory here. He was the reason they got they drew that man up at the end of that game. And then he ended up, instead of scoring the goal because he got his head taken off, he ends up feeding O'Neal on that wing. I mean, Sowers is an unselfish kid. He lets the game come to him. And in this game, the way it came to him was one goal, three assists. Yes, he got stuffed by Schaefer, Schaefer on a few occasions. And I was actually talking to his dad, and he said that Schaefer played in, Sowers specifically said to his dad, who then said to me, that um that he said like he just would get these one on ones or he would get some some openings here in the middle of the field where it's like this should be a goal and Schaefer just stood tall the kid played great that's what happened against Georgetown as well especially or, or against uh, uh Denver in that game at the end where Schaefer it wasn't his stick that made the save it was his body being in position and when that happens when a goalie's playing good when a goalie's in good position it seems impossible to score at times and Schaefer, you know, credit to him for that. But I mean, in the end, Duke showed the, the big guns ended up getting it done for them and they advance. Next one. Sorry, I'm kind of yelling into the mic here. Rutgers, 11, number one, North Carolina, 12, another OT game. The last nine minutes of this game couldn't have been more exciting. Rutgers took a two goal lead with 852 remaining off a of Connor Curse goal. Just another example of Curse being able to create offense, even while uh, being well defended. UNC, they wouldn't waste any time getting back into it either. Less than 30 seconds later, Lance Tillman stuck one off a give-and-go thanks to Chris Gray's unselfish play. And then just a bit over two minutes later, Tillman hit again to tie things up at 10s, this time unassisted, and we have ourselves a ball game. Adam Charlambides stung a nasty backhanded go- backhanded goal up the right side, left-handed to get Rutgers back on top with just 359 remaining. Absolutely filthy goal. Charlambides just comes up that left covered. You know, you'd think the only option here is really that. That was the only way he could have potentially scored that goal. He put it in the corner stick side, or a curse might be left-handed, so maybe he put it off his ear on his right. But it was like near side that he stuck the corner. It was filthy. Um. And again, UNC answered right back off the ensuing face-off. Tucci, he goes uh, to the rack, clean pinch and pop, uh, and the slide was just late. He ended up getting put down, I think. Uh, but now we're 11 up with 3.54 to play in this game, and it would stay that way until we hit overtime. Connor McCarthy, he'd be the hero scoring the game winner off a Will Perry feed, and UNC sent Rutgers packing in heartbreaking fashion if you're a Scarlet Knights fan or a member of the Scarlet Knights uh, program here. Uh, it was terrible. Terrible for them. It was a ridiculously good game, though, and a great showing out of Rutgers. They really shut a lot of people up that were saying that Rutgers didn't necessarily deserve all the accolades they got throughout the year. I heard a lot of people say that UNC played sloppy, but I looked at it more as Rutgers played really solid defense all game long. I wouldn't put this on like a lot of the ACC crowd is saying, oh, UNC played down, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, but why did they play down is the question, and they played down because Rutgers' defense was 
everywhere. Rutgers defense was on guys' hands. They were swarming ground balls. They were beating on dudes. Kirst played well enough in cage. He didn't have the greatest day. But UNC is pretty brutal to have to face here. So, I mean, I, I give credit to Rutgers. This is, sometimes you would say, hey, the other team played like shit. This is why that, that team was able to hang. And no, I wouldn't say that. I would say Rutgers earned that, that, overtime, that overtime loss. I mean, they, they played great lacrosse, I think. I think if, if UNC and Rutgers played 10 times, I think UNC wins eight of those times. They could win nine of those times. And I think that UNC may more often than not beat them by a couple of goals you know, a handful of goals even, but Rutgers played great. They did everything perfect, and they just kind of faltered down the stretch a little bit, clearing problems down the stretch a little bit. I think they had two failed clears late that resulted in goals and then just a couple other mishaps, and boom, UNC wins it. Stat line, Lance Tillman for UNC, four goals. Justin Anderson, three goals. Chris Gray, three helpers. That was it. They kept him off the scoreboard. That can't be right, but that's what my stat box says. Rutgers, Adam Charlambidi's four goals, Ross Scott two and one, Connor Curse two and one. Face-off battle, not much of a factor. Uh, DeGenio won 56% of the draws for Rutgers taking every face-off. UNC struggled at times at the face-off X, but they did okay, and Tucci's goal late more than made up for that, you know, that, that margin that they lost those by. Goalie battle, Colin Kirst proved to me that he's one of the top five goalies in the nation, no doubt. Uh, making 16 saves with a 57% save percentage against the crazy Tar Heels offense. Colin Krieg was no slouch, 10 saves versus 11 goals against. But the reason Rutgers was able to hang in this game ended up coming down to the Rutgers defense and Colin Kirst doing a good job being the last line of defense for Rutgers against a very formidable North Carolina offense. It was a hell of a game. Being in Rutgers' position, they needed a perfect game defensively, and they almost got it. They actually technically, in terms of their on-field defensive play, they got it. It was that clearing game at the end that kind of let them down badly. All right, we're diving into the last one, folks. Georgetown, UVA, an absolute bloodbath here. There isn't much to say about this one. Connor Schellenberger dominated this uh, supposedly concrete Hoyas defense going for six goals and a helper. Georgetown didn't help very often in terms of help defense, which was perplexing because Virginia was winning both in six-on-six six sets as well as in transition. The Hoyas looked absolutely lost. The Virginia defense, uh, they were the squad that was on a mission. They looked like the squad that was on a mission. They shut down Georgetown in every area. They limited their transition looks. They didn't allow guys to get beat without sending help often knocking guys on their asses. They played very physical. They swarmed balls. They were faster, more organized, and where chaos chaos reigned, UVA's defense kept their heads and played well. Stat line, Connor Schellenberger, 6-1. and one. Ian Laviano, two goals. Connor, two assists. UVA had a bunch of other guys that either had like a goal or an assist as we ripped down their stretch. For Georgetown, Jake Carraway, one assist off five shots. Face-off battle, baby. Petey fucking LaSala dominated it. As I predicted, he bounced back from a rough week last weekend, and he won 15 of 19 with nine ground balls and that sick backhanded goal as part of this UVA route. LaSala is a big reason this game went off the rails and went off the rails early. UVA played make-it-take-it all day thanks to LaSala's savagery, and the Hoyas sent five guys out at the fa- to the faceoff dot to try to change up their luck, and none of them had an answer for LaSala on, uh, what was that? That was the Saturday game. In cage, Owen McElroy, tough go. Eight saves versus 14 goals against. So, I mean, he had a really good season, did not have a very good final game. Alex Road was on point, didn't get tested often. Eight stops versus 11 shots on cage, only giving up three goals on the day. Great outing overall, though, for Road as he wins the goalie battle. And there's really not much more to say about this one. Georgetown got waxed 
start to finish. And that is what happened in our weekend of college across. I am going to kind of end this one early here today. I'm going to do the, the matchups on Wednesday, maybe Thursday, but I'll put out on, I'm going to do it. I'm going to schedule it for Wednesday. Um, and put it out on the normal day for once uh, for the, the this you know the final four matchups, and then I'm gearing up, getting ready to go on vacation, and I've got work and all that crap to catch up on. I wanted to make sure I got a show out Monday though, the first time on time in a while here. So that is it. I'm gonna get out of here. Come back Wednesday, and then we're going to do the the show recapping Monday's games uh, early Tuesday morning as well. Uh, I'll do that on location from uh, Orlando, Florida. So as always, everybody, go to laxfactor.com, get some swag, support us that way. I will also talk about some of the D2, D3 games and stuff like that uh, coming up on Wednesday. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. 